buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today, I've got a special guest for you. I've got Matt Green. He is the Chief Revenue Officer over at Sales Assembly, um, he, it, which is a B2B tech industry only scale as a service platform. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I appreciate the the short bio, but we got a lot of blanks to fill in here. So let's jump right in and just kick it off with, you know, where did your sales journey start? Uh, sales journey. Geez, good question. You know, when I think back, you know, I realized that I've never outside of working. You know, my first job was a paper route. Not long thereafter, working the drive through a Taco Bell. Um, but I think from the age of 16, um, I never worked a job that wasn't in some way, shape or form, um, compensate that compensation tied to some sort of incentives, right? You know, that started by parking cars, valet, you know, when I was 16, um, I've always had some type of commission level role. In fact, you know, I, I've, um, in my adult life, I, I never actually worked in a job where I made an actual, you know, legitimate salary. I'd say until maybe I turned 28, 29, um, you know, grew up in, in a very, if you've ever seen the, the movie Boiler Room, uh, as mm-hmm. I'm sure many people probably have, uh, my adult career began in, in an environment that was very, very similar to that from, uh, from beginning to end, um, even more so in the financial services industry. So yeah, sales has been, you know, for better, or for worse, as part of my DNA and my upbringing, since I was a, since I was a young lad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people cut their teeth in a boiler room type environment and including myself, there's, you know, the simplest way I describe my own experience there is there's a lot of good things I learned and a lot of bad things, a lot of habits that I had to unlearn. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would completely agree. I mean, of course there are a lot of bad habits that you have to unlearn, but yes, they, I wouldn't be where I am today without all of the learning, sometimes extremely painful learnings that, yeah. uh, you know, that I took away from going through that experience for, you know, almost close to a decade. Um, again, especially stepping into my first, you know, my first adult career, adult job after college into that type of environment, uh, was definitely trial by fire, but taught me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any examples you could share with us of some, some tough learnings, uh, early on that you, uh, learned a lot out of and stuck with it? Yeah. You know, tough learnings. Um, 
that there's a sense of stick to and determination that mm. is that you know it is a requirement in order to survive in in an environment like that and for example you know my my first professional career um you know we had a system where you know we, we didn't have five day work weeks we had six day work weeks because we were required to be there um, from nine to noon on yeah. saturday mornings um, but five days a week, um, Monday through Friday, from the hours of 5 to 8 p.m., we would have phone clinics, is what they were called, where we get together mm-hmm. in a big room, again, similar to boiler room style, have 300, 350 um, extremely old, stale leads that in some cases were many years old. And yeah. we had to smile and dial for three hours straight with the ideal and goal on a good day, maybe setting two appointments. Right, you know, perhaps yeah. maybe three appointments. Um, so when you do that day in and day out, week over week, year over year, and then you transition into what you and I probably understand, maybe many of the listeners of this podcast understand, it's a more traditional sales role. And you take a look yeah. at the responsibilities, um, and I guess more importantly, the the route to success um, looks a lot simpler, you know, in, in the new world than it did may have previously. You know, when you're just getting started in an environment like I described. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's some, there's some good things that come out of, you know, those type of environments. Like you do learn some just good old fashioned hard work, <laughs> you know, yeah. and dealing with rejection and, you know, putting in the work to, to, to hit your numbers, right? Which um, some people don't, you know, d- that don't have that experience. Maybe they should, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's also the the kind of negative side of it. Like, you know, I, I was in a very similar environment, not as many people as you described, but, you know, um, there was no focus on the, 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 the people or the prospects. Everybody was just treated like a transaction. <laughs> that yeah. was it. What, you know? What, what were you selling, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, I was selling like office equipment and supplies. Okay. Um, and we were supposed to make 100, you know, plus dials a day. And we had a very, um, very typical script. It was like, you know, you had some sort of opener to sort of break the ice and then, um, and then you'd, you know, kind of get, build a little rapport quick. Um, and then you'd eventually like throw out an offer. If they didn't buy something, you'd throw out another offer, you know, a a revised offer. Um, if they didn't buy, then you would, um, change the subject, try to build a little more rapport, throw out another offer. You know, people are a little wore down at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and then if, if if they didn't bite then, like you better get a commitment for a future order. And it was like, just do that a hundred times a day. Yeah, no, that uh, sounds like a lot of fun. And, and again, you know, sounds <laughs> eerily similar. Um, yeah, we, so we were selling financial planning services um, and it was, let's keep in mind, you know, I was straight out of college. Uh, 22, 23 years old, um, you know, got my $300 suit on, you know, that, that I'm wearing to the office every day. Uh, yeah. And, you know, calling yeah. people that were, you know, actually, you know, career holders, successful and saying like, hey, I'm a 23 year old kid. Not only am I the right person for you to entrust uh, your investment strategy, um, yeah. but also you should pay me a fee for the pleasure of doing business with me. So, you know, that type of sale, again, that early on in my career, uh, that the fact that I was able to have even just, a, you know, modicum, you know, modest level of success yeah. early on. 
you know, I think to the point of your original question, provided a good foundation for me to sort of build off of as I got further along in my career and moved away from an environment like that. Yeah, but hey, you were dressed for success. <laughs> you know, at least on paper. I had a suit and that's what mattered. Yeah. All right, so let's fast forward a little bit. You know, when did you, when did the way you thought about selling sort of change? You know, the, I, I'd say it, that it, you know, probably changed right around the time that, that I moved away from my, you know, from my initial, um, you know, the initial career or, you know, the, the role I should say that I mentioned before and into more of an established organization, um, JP Morgan Chase, you know, obviously one of the largest companies in the world. And th- th- there was a, you know, a, um, a much more refined pivot that I had to go through. And I think you spoke to it, you know, a few mm-hmm. moments ago, as far as leading with value, yeah. right? Because it was a completely different environment to operate. And um, we were fiduciaries at the time, which of course in that industry is an extremely big deal where we were legally required to put the customer, put the prospect, put the client first in wow. every single decision that we made. And it wasn't just like, Hey, this is our mission statement. It's like, no, I mean, you know, if regulators come in and, you know, they do some digging into your files and your communication and et cetera, et cetera. And, and they even think like, Hey, we don't think that you're putting the client first here. I mean, not only is that your career, but that's, you know, fines, that's, you know, potentially jail time, et cetera. So just to drive home the point of how serious it was to always put the client, uh, the prospect, putting their needs, putting their best interests first. Um, that's when my mindset, to answer your question, was forced to change. And obviously, yeah. I think that, that we could probably all agree for the better, right? Because, yeah. you know, that's what anybody in any sales environment, whether you're on the selling side or the buying side, you know, that's the type of relationship that you want to engage in with a person that you're trying to transact some business with. Yeah, that's uh, kind of a scary thought maybe for some sellers to think about, right? Could you imagine? I mean, how serious it is of putting the customer's needs first and doing right by them. That yeah. if, and if you didn't, there could be potentially huge fines or jail time. Like yeah. that's a pretty high standard yeah, that you so, really have no choice but to live up to. Yeah, so that, you know, rip the band-aid again type of situation going from where I was before to immediately stepping into a role like that uh, was obviously a sea change. Um, But I think, again, you know, being able to marry those requirements. um, And again, I I don't mean requirements in the disparaging sense. I mean, requirements in the sense of, hey, not only this is, you know, what was necessary, but again, it is always you know, worth all of our wilds act in the best interest of the clients or the prospects that, uh, that we're chatting with, regardless of the product that we're selling or who that we're selling it to. But being able to marry that with the skills, the determination, um, and, you know, sort of the processes and systems that I developed operating in a completely different environment where it was just all about quantity and getting deals done, pushing yeah. and pushing. Um, that I think, you know, set me up for a significant level of success, at least comparatively speaking to some of the other peers that I entered the role in, uh, alongside around the exact same time. Yeah. So that was a total mind shift for you. 
um, and probably really molded and shaped just the way that you, you know, view sales thereafter, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, definitely the, the way that I view sales and even to this day, the, the way that if I'm in a conversation with any prospect, any potential sp- uh, uh, partner, um, I still like to think that I carry a lot of that today. Now, part of that, I, I hope, is just part of my nature, right? You know, being honest, being forthright, being transparent. Um, but I have absolutely carried, uh, you know, some of those tendencies, most of those tendencies with me today, where if I'm on a call with a, uh, with a prospect, I'm going to be brutally honest as to whether or not I think what I'm offering, you know, today's sales assembly, for example, is going to be a good fit for them or not. And if it's not, not only am I going to tell them so, but I'm going to go the step of actually recommending, well, hey, you know, here's some other avenues, here's some other outlets, here's some other providers that I think Mm -hmm. are going to make much better sense for you than what we have to offer at this time. Yeah. And I'm not really sure why a lot of sellers are so scared to just be like brutally honest and authentic with prospects from the very beginning. You know, I think it's kind of fear-based, right? Like they're scared they're going to, scare the prospect off or, or whatever the case is. Um, but it actually strengthens relationships. It builds a level of trust and rapport. Um, when you tell them, you know, not what maybe you think they want to hear or don't just, you know, be a yes man or woman to everything that they say, you know, Hey, we're not the strongest on this particular thing and getting in front of that, you know, first, you know, maybe that thing isn't as important to them as you thought, um, but just being transparent about that builds a level of trust where they want to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only I'm not necessarily a believer in karma, but I'm also kind of a believer in karma, right? Where, you know, as long as you treat people well and you do right by them, um, you know, do I think that that, you know, legitimately comes back around? You know, not necessarily. I don't believe in those types of universal forces or whatever you want to, you know, whatever you, you, you want to call them. But at the same time, I do think that there is something to that. And if nothing else, it's just, a, you know, being a good steward um, in general is obviously a best practice that, that we all want to employ. But, yeah, I, I think that the most salespeople and it is understandable, you know, they have a job, you know, they have mm-hmm. the scripting, they have the structure. And at the end of the day, they have a quota to hit. Right. So it's like, okay, well, what do I need to do in order to make sure that I'm accomplishing this, not only to achieve this level of success that whatever company I'm working for has set out for me, but also reap the financial rewards of that. And, you know, it's, it's easy to justify bending the truth, shading around the edges a a little bit um, in order to get that done. I just think that when you start going down that path, it's easy to take it one degree further, one degree further the next time until you do eventually reach a point where it's like, Hey, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're not really just being honest in any way, shape or form with the people that you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. You're putting the people first over the profit, right. Or the, yeah. <laughs> the number, the hitting the quota. Right. And, um, you know, people are smart enough to see through that stuff. Right. And so it serves you best to just, be straight with them. And, you know, if you're not the best fit, tell them that, you know, tell them your strengths and your weaknesses and, and really just help them making a good decision, regardless if it's you or not. Yeah. Especially today where I'm sure that that many of us, you know, many, I know you and I, and many of the people that, that are listening to this podcast right now, probably read or at least some way familiar with the stat that, 
least in the B2B space. I think it's somewhere around yeah. 70% of buyers have already made their purchasing decision before they actually engage uh, from the very start with a sales rep, right? So again, to your point, not only is it a right thing, not only is it the right thing to do in general, but if you are legitimately interested in making more sales, becoming more successful, you know, just due to the nature of the ecosystem in which we're all living in right now, this is a practice that you're going to want to employ anyway, because as you said, the prospects that you're talking to, they're easily going to be able to pick up on that, especially yeah. now given all the research that they're able to do ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the work that you do at sales assembly. You know, what do you guys do there? Just walk me through that. Yeah. So sales assembly, we are a scale as a service platform. Uh, specifically for B2B tech companies. We're fortunate enough today to work with around 200 uh, B2B tech companies all up and down the, the ecosystem. And when we talk about scale as a service, what we provide to all these companies are programs and resources to help them scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. And, you know, digging into that, when we talk about scaling better, we're providing every week to the companies that we work with anywhere between one to three professionally facilitated training events, certification programs um, for everybody on their go-to-market teams, sales, customer success, marketing. Continuing education development, of course, is a big focal point for all these fast-growing B2B tech companies. So we provide mm -hmm. them an outlet to, uh, to take advantage of the offerings there. Uh, scaling faster, we know that many companies in the ecosystem are, are hiring, uh, especially on the, their go-to-market teams, you know, desperately so. Uh, we provide candidates uh, to our member companies to hire without paying any placement fees whatsoever mm. on an ongoing basis. And we provide additional training programs and resources to help ramp those candidates quicker and reduce that, that time to revenue once they're actually on board. Um, and scaling smarter is really just focus on overall strategy. You know, not only do we have uh, folks on our team here at Sales Assembly who are subject matter experts in the fields of sales enablement, revenue operations, sales leadership in general, but we also have this really fantastic opportunity to leverage the other go-to-market leaders from across our community, bridging connections between sales leaders, marketing leaders, CS leaders, so on and so forth, bringing them together for the purpose of exchanging ideas and best practices. Um, our thesis behind launching Sales Assembly back in 2017 was that by and large, if you're a B2B tech company, you're selling different products to different people, right? But the fundamentals of how you do it when you check under the hood, all pretty similar from company mm. to company. So we provide a so, platform. I bet some companies don't want to hear that, right? They yeah, all think no, they're it, unique and different, right? That they, they all think that they're that they're special snowflakes. Um, so, so you know, I, I do I do like to to build in the qualifier. I mean, of course, we do want to afford nuances, right? You know, to some companies, you know, versus others. But at the end of the day, when you think about what makes a successful BDR, a successful director of customer success, a successful VP of sales, at um, a company like Outreach versus Gong versus LinkedIn, versus Sprout Social, versus, you know, a, a Series B funded startup, um, somewhere that, that sells a completely different product to a different buyer. <clears throat> when you take a look at what, what makes them successful, it's going to be pretty consistent mm -hmm. from company to company, right? 
Uh, so providing a platform to all these companies take advantage of tools, resources, programs, and expertise that would help them, again, scale in a much more efficient and effective manner. That's the thesis on which Sales Assembly has been built on. Yeah, yeah. And so these uh, like training programs that you do, are there's some pretty um, general topics that, you know, everybody is taking advantage of or, is there, or there's, are they, you know, somewhat customized to the needs, you know, of, of the B2B tech companies? Yeah, it's going to be much more uh, of the former, although we, we do like to think that, um, you know, that the topics and the themes that we touch on during these programs week over week are always going to be relevant in some way, shape or form. And when you take a look at the scope, at the scope of programs that we offer, one day we might be doing a session that is specifically for BDRs and SDRs on objection handling, right? And then mm -hmm. a couple of days later, we might be doing something for director level customer success leaders on how to better forecast churn, right? And if you're a member of Sales Assembly, one of these 200 or so companies that I mentioned, you can send as many people from your go-to-market team as you want to as many of these sessions that we do. So you essentially leverage us as an extension of the internal sales training infrastructure that, uh, that you build. Um, but at the same time, we'll have, you know, more robust certification programs where companies from all across the community send us their newly promoted managers, people that are in their first leadership role, and mm -hmm. we sit them down in a much more formal setting and we teach them. Here's how you do an effective one-on-one -on -one with somebody on your team. Here's how you put somebody on a performance improvement plan in an appropriate manner, which is something you're going to have to do at one point or another throughout your career. Here's how yeah. you bet for culture fit when you're looking at candidates to your team. You know, all these different things where if you're someone like you or I or any other sales leader out there, we think back, we're like, yeah, we know how to do all this good stuff, but no one ever actually sat us down and taught us how to do it. We just learned it through doing it through osmosis and through following other people. That, uh, that, that came ahead of us. So providing that type of structured training, um, again, to, to all these B2B tech companies in a manner where they're able to leverage it to the full extent of their go-to-market teams and do so in a way where they have the chance to collaborate with other fast-growing B2B tech companies across the ecosystem. That's been a big recipe of our success over the past few years. Yeah, I love it. Very, very interesting work that you're doing. Um, any final thoughts, Matt, where can people find out more or get into your world? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you make the, uh, the, the poor decision to get into to Matt Green's world, I mean, of course you could always <laughs> find me on, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, if you make the wise decision, of course, to, uh, to learn more about sales assembly, obviously salesassembly.com. Uh, you can feel free to shoot me a note at, uh, directly Matt at salesassembly.com. Uh, truth be told, I love connecting with everybody. I love chatting with everybody. Um, if there's anything that I or the community that we built can do to be helpful to anybody that's listening to this podcast right now, we'd love to connect with them and learn more. Awesome. We will drop the links there in the show notes for everyone. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really helps us out. And we're always listening for your feedback. You can go to sales transformation. Dot .fm drop me a voice dm and i will get back to you hey you stuck around that tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation if you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard yeah it's free salescast.community send me a dm with your best pitch 
and mention this ad and I might even give you free access to our best templates.